another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Dea, Tea, Dara, Tea. Your vital essence, the Dark Crystal. Kida, Kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Aru, Garu. How very interesting. Dea, Tea. I feel the song of Thra in my heart. Now go, you heroes of Thra. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone, the Dark Crystal podcast. I'm your host, Philip. I'm Jamie. And I'm your host, Ethan. Let's dig in. Let's feast Stone on the Dark Crystal. Have a, that Nebri feast um, as, we, uh, as we're talking about the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And uh, on this episode, we're going to talk about episode nine of the show, which is called The Crystal Calls. We're going to try and, you know, talk, we're going to talk about, you know, with episode nine, but we are going to talk about the show as a whole. So again, just so you know that, you know, if you are listening it to the first time, um, there's going to be spoilers for the whole show. Um, just wanted to let you know about that way in advance, but yeah, I mean, it's just been, um, you know, it's, it's always been a lot of fun talking about all these episodes of the show and yeah, we're just going to keep on going and yeah i mean we're, we're almost there we're almost there you know we almost you know the, the penultimate episode and i like i can't wait to you know when we reach you know the, the the last you know the next episode being the episode 10 roundtable and have it all wrapped up but we're still going to be talking about age resistance for quite a long time so i mean really all this is sort of a bit like you know just a tip of the iceberg um essentially but so much fun so much fun indeed we'll we'll get into with the um episode nine and i think probably one of the biggest surprises that actually happened at the start of the episode was you know with all the characters that are sort of on top of the sanctuary tree you know they they all made it out and um you know the the, the grottons are safe the Arathum got out she was sort of knocked out you know because of the power that she was you know trying to do to heal the Nurlocks in episode eight and got to a point where Rian sort of carried her up. And again, I just, I just love Madra. Um, I got, you know, she's like, ah, you know, you know, Rian carried you to safety. He must be very strong. <laughs> and I thought that was a little, little funny, you know, uh, moment in there getting back to it. Um, that the surprise was they realized about the dual glaive that it's, Oh no, it's back in the caves. Right. We've got to go back in, in there to, to get it. And then Madra um, Argot, you know, she ends up, you know, smashing her cane and sort of reveals that, well, she was carrying, you know, one of them for such a long time, which I thought that was a good twist because I actually thought that maybe we were going to get into like, sort of that Indiana Jonesy sort of, you know, we're going to find this, you know, this jewel glaive, you know, this piece of treasure, that sort of thing um, that could, you know, save the world, so that sort I. of thing. Yeah. And I just wanted to know, because I know... Um, yeah, you like your thoughts about that, Ethan? Because I know, like in Dark Crystal law, I mean, I think we might have talked about this, especially with the books. Um, I think in Tides of the Dark Crystal, where Rian had to go to find some object or something. I think we had theories about, oh, it's you know, it could be in the the tombs of relics, which is a place you know in the caves of Grot. And I think you know, watching the show, I mean, I sort of thought that oh, we might be going there. 
to the tomb of relics and there might be like an episode where Rian's just trying to find the jewel glaive oh yeah and you paint this whole picture in your head like going through the the tomb maybe you know fighting monsters or something and meeting early the the what's his name storyteller yes yeah um you know this whole thing and then it's like record scratch oh i had it here in my cane the whole time boy here you go (laughs) you know it's like oh shoot it's kind of like um the trial by air you know you're like oh man we're gonna have this epic guffling flight they're gonna fly through the air they're gonna push each other smash each other on the rocks like you know we're gonna get a whole thing and then record scratch like girl you can have that crown i got my own i dress in dark colors now you know, it's like, oh, it's, you know, the, ser- the series does that a, a couple times. You, you kind of paint this whole scene in your head, a whole sequence. Probably could have been a whole episode in itself. And then, oh, okay, we're going this direction. It's not a bad thing. It's just like, oh, shoot, I, I, I saw that going a different way. But this is okay, too. There's interesting on symmetry happening between Margot or uh, Madra Argot and Agra. First, first of all, their names are similar. Second of all, their characteristics, their their mannerisms, the way that they present themselves, they're sort of funny, a little bit like Yoda, uh, comical, self-effacing, but also serious. And much like Agra in the original film was in possession of the shard, Mar- Madra Argot was also in possession of the shard. I, and I'm curious where that's going to go if... I don't know. There's because in the the original film, Agra reminds me so much of Madra Argot, and I'm wondering if Madra Argot's it's hard to go from these names uh, if her essence will transfer to to Agra. I don't know. There's just there's strange symmetry happening between these two characters with similarly similar names and similar mannerisms. So I'm curious where that will lead. Maybe it won't lead anywhere. Maybe it's just. The symmetry of storytelling, I don't I don't know, but it's definitely worth commenting on. No, it's funny you say that because I was gonna I was gonna say unpopular opinion, but I kinda like Madra Argot better than Agra. Like I could What I, I know, I could watch her all day. She cracks me up. Like uh, uh Louise Gold's voice just oh my gosh, she cracks me up. Just she's just the way her, she cackles, you know, like Oh, man, she's a little flirt. Oh, my God. I could just watch her all day. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, uh, I, love Agra. I love Donna Kimball, too, but yeah. uh, Madra Arga is just hilarious. Uh, you know, when when she first goes to Deet's house and knocks all the crap off of that table and, you know, it, it's very Agra-like, but at the same time, she do, she feels like a, a new character, like a, a real fleshed out character she doesn't feel like she's trying to be a uh like a ripoff of anything or anything she just feels like this new fun gelfling and i absolutely adore probably one of my favorite characters like yeah probably yeah, yeah right up i there. love her too yeah, i really do because yeah because i remember like i think when both of you when you saw the first episode for the first time and I remember, I think Ethan, you were saying that um, that you, you that Skeklak was probably going to be potentially your your favorite character, uh, like your favorite Skeksis, um, of the show. So um, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, I I loved um, Argot, yeah, especially from the first episode, just her introduction and 
yeah, she's just, just a funny little gulfling, you know, it's just, yeah. Just, just yeah, I guess so I cool, like yeah. women with husky voices, huh? You know, <laughs> Skeklak, oh, yeah. <laughs> Agra, Argot, yeah. Never thought of that. And Argot, she's, she definitely balances the serious tone. Like, we need, she realizes that there, there's some heavy things happening and things need to be done. At the same time, she's also a balance between, like, hey, it's not all that serious. I mean, it's serious, but, like, she's just some, some laughter that i think is necessary you know yeah absolutely yeah going you know from uh the above the sanctuary tree and you know them you know with rain holding the sword and it was it was, i mean it was pretty cool i mean that was the other thing that even though like she i mean olga only had one piece of the sword so i mean they could have easily been like oh yep here's the whole sword all you know <laughs> all as one it was kind of cool that at least there was a bit of a challenge that, um, that well, with Rian and Deet, they had to go back to Stone in the Wood to find the other piece of the sword. And, and we sort of got that backstory about how, um, um, you know, how Auden, he had the jewel glaive um, during the Arathan Wars. And I think this is going to be part of the backstory that we're sort of going to get in the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance comics. Um, as of this recording, we just got up to issue three. And so, and that's going to get wrapped up in the next issue with issue four. Uh, so that's been really cool um, that at least we got this glimpse within the show, but being potentially, you know, expanded in other mediums, which has been, yeah, pr- pretty cool in, in, in that regard. And I, I was just thinking just like, you know, the things like that, that happens like in this episode, I think one thing that really shook me <laughs> was when when we see like Bria and um, Celadon and they're about to get drained of their essence and then Olga sort of comes in and, you know, offers a trade, you know, to sacrifice her life, you know, in exchange for um, freeing pretty much all the Gelflings inside the Castle of the Crystal in the cages and whatnot. Again, I mean, this is probably one of the, such a great scene between Olga and all the Skeksis and and she's talking about how Skekmal, you know, <laughs> how Skekmal is like probably the, the most beautiful of all Skeksis and um, uh, which sort of, uh, and then of course, you know, leading up to her sacrifice and the moment where she vanishes, um, I think watching, when I watched that episode for the first time, all the whole time I was just thinking, you know, how's Olga going to come back? I don't know, you guys, I don't know what you you know, when you saw, you know, Olga, when she vanished, you know, in that episode were you just thinking like throughout the whole show about you know how is she going to come back no so yeah when we first saw her getting drained i thought oh this explains why augra was so um indifferent and uh almost cold in the film i was like oh okay so they drained her essence oh man that explains so clever and then she explodes and disappears and like okay all right yeah, I I thought maybe, you know, she would like come out of the ground again or something. I don't like I the way she comes back though. I did not. I I never would have guessed. You know, if you you if you had shown me, um, her getting drained and then exploding, disappearing, and then asked me like, oh, what's gonna happen to her next? I never would have guessed what what happened. That that was good writing. That blew me away. But the sacrifice was very Aslan slash Jesus Christ uh, to me. Um, 
you know, like Aslan, I think it's Edmund or something. Like, you know, hey, White Witch, you know, hand over Edmund. I'll sacrifice myself for him or something. And then, you know, Aslan gets killed and comes back. Um, I don't know, the next day. I don't remember. But, uh, you know, a very mythological. You know, I, I thought I thought that was a really clever thing to do with Agra, what they do here. Um, and the that, way she that, returns as well. It's very clever. It's very original. It's not... It wasn't like Gandalf. It wasn't like, you know, it was she spiritually appears in like as someone's disappearing. She's appearing. It's very, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I love the way that she returned and, and basically all the Skeksis were, you know, freaking out about her return, like in that moment in, um, in episode 10. But yeah, I just remember like when I was watching this episode for the first time and yeah, when she disappeared, uh, I think like pretty much every scene that sort of follow through, I was just like, just, I don't know. I was just thinking about Olga. I'm like, how the, you know, how, how is she going to come back? Like, I know she has to come back, but, but how, and, and why, and, and all those sort of things. Um, so yeah, it was just, it, again, it was just one of the incredible things. And I mean, I just, again, I just love like with Olga, it's like, Oh, you know, spinning chairs and sort of the continuing sort of humor that, that she has. That surprised me. Her cracking jokes about the spinning chairs. And stuff. Like really? Here of all, uh, that was almost like Marvel-esque. Like, I love Marvel movies, but they do like to, to undercut the drama with some humor. Um, like, you know, and I don't have a problem with that. You know, in AOR, you know, I, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't take it out. But it did surprise me. Like, ooh, I thought this was supposed to be a dark moment. I don't know. But, you know. That's one thing I've noticed, I think, with some of the writers who are part of Generation X these days and i see it in marvel i've seen it not really too much so maybe a little bit in aor but like i've seen it in other where you it's like quip after quip it and i saw it in like last jedi and just like this really interesting tense scene and then all of a sudden you're brought right out of it because with some modern reference or or at least the tone feels very you know, the world that we live in now is a little bit too meta or something like that. And it, it's an interesting, and I think I writers really have to like pull themselves back and say, no, it's okay. Let it play out. Let the story, you don't need to, you don't need co a comedic um, break every time you can let this play out. It's okay. We can handle serious stuff at any rate. I thought it's interesting. Oh no. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a very awkward person. So I, I, heavily use humor to as a crutch to to get through just a regular conversation but in drama you know it's like yeah kind of rein it in and let the let the tone you know I, I the only thing i could think of is maybe they were trying to rein it in a little bit to not rein it in but you know uh, to try and keep younger viewers like don't get too scared but then again there's there's some dark gritty scenes in this show so i'm just like i don't know we didn't hear a quip then i don't know uh yeah it's it, the line it surprised me it was different but really there's no nah. it's not bad <laughs> anyway moving on yeah <laughs> and um and just thinking you know being with the cast of the crystal and um one of the things we we actually sort of got updates about with some of the other skexies that weren't present in the show 
there was a scene I think where with with Zok. This yeah. was a bit of a, like, oh, actually hearing about these different Skeksis, um, you know, where they might be or whatnot. And um so I mean this was a scene I think where Skekark like she you know, he talks about, Oh, we should bring all the Skeksis back to the castle and then I think um he said Skeksok, um, the ritual master, he says, you know, Skeksar and Skekna will be useful in a fight. Um and of course, like with Skeksa, um, she's uh, the marina, and and she was he- heavily featured in, I think, in Joe's books with Tides of the Dark Crystal, and as well as Flames as well. And I think Skekna is the slave master, which I'd be curious if that's his name at the time, or whether that ends up becoming his name. Sort of, you know, things that might happen down the track in season two. I keep asking myself that too. Yeah, you know, because the Garth the Master obviously can't be the Garth the Master right now. But, you know, is there a slave master? Or is that later too? You know, maybe maybe he's the, you know, tax consultant right now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then and then I think that, um, so Skekang was mentioned and mentioned as a, guar- a strong warrior. And Skekli was also mentioned, the satirists. But actually the one... I mean, this would probably be a good trivia thing, but the only Skeksis that we didn't see or didn't get mentioned is Skekshod, the treasurer. I don't think Skekshod wasn't um, mentioned or seen at all. In the whole in season. season. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in this whole season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he doesn't exist. It's a new timeline. Yes, this yeah. I'm totally... But, yeah, so I, I mean that's the thing, and because his role as like as a the treasurer, well, in, in uh, you know with the film, he was his role was a treasurer, and then I sort of thought, oh, you know, I wonder like if he would have been sort of like a good addition, you know, with um, you know, hanging out with Skeklak and Skeklok, Skekok, um, you know, going to all the different Gelfling clans, uh, that sort of thing. But yeah, but of course, I mean, I think with Skekshot, with Skekshot. I think we're going to see him in um, one of the Dark Crystal comic books, I think, with um, Hup's story. So hopefully we'll get some answers about, you know, w- you know what Skekshod was up to. But but then again, it was like the conversation sort of ended short anyway to probably not mention Skekshod at the time in the conversation that with the Chamberlain appeared and all that kind of stuff. But I thought that was sort of an interesting sort of... There was a little observation I made that um, Skekshod was the only Skeksis that wasn't mentioned or seen in the season yeah probably because he's not a very good warrior <laughs> they're, they're like yeah. Eh, <laughs> yeah he's useless yeah yeah he, he just uh, him and skek tech pretty much like <laughs> yeah so yeah it was just one of those things where i was just like yeah um again yeah definitely be interesting to see if we see more of those um the different uh skexies come in um in season two uh, if it happens so in this uh episode i mean this is a point where you know when the gelflings they sort of all get out and um and then we sort of get tavra she sort of stays behind like she decides to um to attack um the general and i thought that was sort of interesting because because at this point like she pretty much has two minds at the moment like she you know she has her own mind but also the spiders or the uh, the threaders mind like embedded i guess essentially into her which i thought was almost like a bit of a not a homage but it definitely reminded me a little bit of um uh, of song of the dark crystal you know especially i think in that book where uh with tavra 
well, in, in, in the book that the spider, I think the name was Krychek, um, very similar to, I think might've been, you know, in, I don't know if it was the inspiration, you know, for the, for the threaders, but the threader, you know, the spider Krychek was essentially controlling the body of Tavra. And, and I just thought, you know, like, you know, when she's about to attack the general, whether, you know, that was purely, you know, both, you know, both controlling themselves to, to decide to attack the general, whether that was all the spider or, or even all just Tavra's, uh, you know, control of, you know, going, you know, going for the, um, for the general. But then, you know, unfortunately, you know, she got stabbed by, um, the Chamberlain. That's a good question. Um, was, you know, I, I really think it was kind of a little bit of both of them, the spider and Tavra that wanted to stab the general, you know, yeah, the, the yeah. general, what do they call it? You know, the Arathim are supposed to be on our side or something. And like, nah, you betrayed us, man. You're dead. You're dead meat. And it's kind of interesting how the, the threader in Tavra, you know, the two are kind of one now. It's almost uh, very uh, Erskeki. You know, two minds have become one. Um, it's definitely... Am I jumping ahead again? Is, I don't know what happens in what episode anymore. Uh, it makes you wonder if that threader is going to be... Uh, you know, it's going to retain Tavra's personality. And Tavra could return in a season two, potentially. Uh, I'm all for that. I, I dig that. Like, yeah, because I mean that that was something that did happen at the end of the episode. I mean that that was one thing I was actually surprised that she, you know, when um her sisters they they you know they got her and they got her out of the castle. I thought she was going to die inside the castle of the crystal, um, but you know as they carried her out, you know she was still you know she was still alive, just barely sort of thing. I was I was surprised that she actually, um, lived. You know just you know, for those extra moments. Um, but yeah, especially at the end, like when Tavra, um, died and, and that thread, I sort of, you know, detaches itself. Um, and of course, yeah, I mean, I mean, that was the thing, like, um, I think, yeah, in song where, um, I think Kylan, he somehow used, um, Lila, um, you know, the Gelfling magic, um, to transfer, you know, the mind of Tavra into the spider and whether, the, you know, I mean that that would be very interesting whether that we're sort of that could potentially happen with Tavra that Tavra still kind of lives on and we're not going to know till season two and um yeah who knows yeah her death was really uh traumatic I think for me watching the show just because Tavra is such a good balance between all of the Gelflings where you have these Rian's on the extreme just because that's his role in the story and Deet's on the extreme in her own way and Brea is certainly extreme and all over the place, but Tavra feels like an adult. Um, and her and Farah seem familiar, similar to me. They just, they're more even just the, the way their voices are. They're very matronly and not matronly as in, in terms of older, but they just felt comforting. They were the, they were this steady rock. And when you, you lo- we lose both of them in the show and then you're sort of left with these teenage Gelflings. Just, and then, of course, they're Madra and there's others for sure. Um, but Tavra's death, like, I was really hoping that, like, because you, you think, oh, they killed her, but then they take her out of the, you know, the the um, the castle tunnels and they're 
leaving and you're thinking, oh, maybe Topper has a chance. Um, and then, of course, she doesn't and she dies. And it's it's one of those moments in the show where you feel like, what's going to happen? Um, and I think, again, it points to really good storytelling because in some ways we know what's going to happen, but we don't know. And we don't know what is going to happen with these characters. Could they end up being in hiding? Could they get on a boat and sail away? Who knows? We're not really sure. So there's 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 hope. There's hope somewhere. And uh, to lose someone like Tavra, um, especially after Brea and Celadon have, has lost their mother, it's it's rough to it's a rough uh, point in the story to get through. Yeah, and just just the scenes like between them three and uh, as she passes away, and just Celadon and Tavra uh, and um, Brea just embracing each other and just. Yeah, it, it is such a yeah, just a shocking and just su- such a sad moment, and um, you know, just and just seeing you know the little thread of just sort of you know running away, um, yeah, it, it is probably one of the yeah one of the one of the most sort of emotional scenes. I mean, that we got I think out out of the show, because I mean with, with the old Mordra, that just sort of just sort of happens out of the blue or that sort of thing. We didn't have enough time to sort of we had a bit of time to process it in the next couple of episodes when they did the you know, the funeral song and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's just sort of just adds to that level, I guess the, um, the things to come, like, you know, is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? And yeah, it's just, yeah, just that, that tragedy aspect to it. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, moving on, um, uh, a really powerful scene and it goes on for a while is when Rianne goes to the that whatever that thing is with all the swords in it um i don't know what they're what what, what that thing is called I think, but i think yeah i think it's called the the crucible the crucible okay and of course the the sky is lit up and rian is essentially he has the mic um and it's sort of mystical magical what's happening and it goes on for a while and rian is really really finding his voice for the first time he is the voice of the Gelfling. And it's a really powerful scene where he's putting the, the Skeksis on notice. And, uh, you know, even though he's not sure what they're going to do, he knows someone's got to do something. And it was really, really great. And just a really, uh, uh, just again, the mythology that they're creating in that moment and moments afterwards is just phenomenal. I I love sort of seeing all the blue flames, like throughout the world of Thrive sort of, it definitely reminded uh, reminded me a little bit of like, especially I mean, a little bit of like Lord of the Rings with um, you know, Return of the King, especially with the um, the lighting of the beacons and how you know the, all the beacons are sort of light up in different areas like of Middle Earth, and we sort of got a bit, you know, it just reminded me a little bit of that um, yeah, in this episode where you're seeing the blue flames sort of being lit up um across Thra. Uh, yeah, which is really cool. And um, I mean, one thing I probably, I mean, it was one of those things is like, one thing I would have loved to have seen, it would have been cool to have seen um, different shots, you know, being able to see like all the different clans, like seeing the message as well. Because I know like we get, you know, we, we get community, you know, when Rian's, he's talking and, you know, we see um, uh, Nair and Gurgen and then we see, um, you know, Brea and then uh, Kylan and a couple other characters. But I thought it would have been really interesting to see like, um, like the other, you know, just completely other different Gelflings and sort of getting, you know, seeing their reactions and, you know, seeing the message as well. But I could totally understand like, you know, from, 
from the aspect that, I mean, well, they don't, you know, they probably don't really need, we probably don't need to see all the different other clans. Cause I mean, that can be sort of kept as a mystery, whether the, the message sort of got across to them as well. But that was just one of my thoughts, like, you know, rewatching the episode about that. Yeah. I, yeah. I hear you. I would have loved that. You know, we could have seen this, you know, this, you know, the, this, uh, the camera panning over the swamp of Sog and all these drenching gathering around the fire and maybe like the Sifa clan and maybe they have the, some fires going on a ship or something. I mean, if, if they had tons and tons of money to make, you know, the, all these puppets and scenes and uh, sets just for these single shots, uh, that would have been great. You know, obviously they can't do that. There's just, there's, it wasn't feasible to do that, but uh, that would have been really, really cool to see. I told it. And I think it would, would have been totally thematically appropriate to have shots like that, you know, and bet you anything, um, they they would have done that in a heartbeat if they they could i, I oh yeah totally, off yeah, base, yeah uh suggesting something like that you know it would have you know the the scene's great the way it is but that would have just been you know cherry on the cake that would have been on the yeah. cake on the pie that would have that would have been <laughs> yeah. amazing yeah yeah it's just one of those little moments i mean it, i mean it was cool that i mean even i mean actually seeing the librarian um in hurrah um because i'm like we hadn't seen him for a very long time so seeing him back was was pretty neat but yeah it was just one of those things yeah it was just it, like it would have been pretty neat but at the same time i can un- understand why you know whether you know the budget or just like at, at the end of the day it's like well is it really necessary probably not but but yeah i mean but it's still such a great moment and even like uh ran he's sort of trying to figure out oh what do i say and i love like that moment with deke which you know she just says to him, you know, whatever's in your heart. Then he finally is able to sort of talking through the, the blue flames, spreading, spreading the word about, you know, getting his voice heard and, um, across all Thra. And I just love that. Like, yeah. And then the sort of Skexo sort of interrupts the conversation and he sort of takes over and he's like, you know, it's not going to work out and all that kind of stuff. And, well, I'll meet you at the stone in the wood. It's all going to end there. And, and then, I mean, that was the thing, like at the end end of the episode, it was just like, well, did the message got heard? And it was like, well, you know, I mean, got to have hope and, um, just sort of see what, you know, what, what comes of it, you know, it's just sort of really leading up to really, you know, with episode 10, like with this big battle, um, that's, that's going to come. Thank you coolest it also seems it it, it's very interesting like you've i don't know about you guys but i know i felt you know with agra not being in the picture you feel like well what are they really gonna do you know what are these gelfling really gonna do um i feel you feel vulnerable for them even though because they all they they're kind of they're training each other how to fight and all of these you know things that they're going through but i still don't feel very confident about it you know um, of course, until of course we know what happens. Deet sort of steps in and saves them, but it doesn't. They don't seem like this. Like the Gelfling force does not seem foreboding, or it does not feel 
they don't feel like anything to be afraid of, you know? So I'm, it's going to be interesting to see, I mean, of course, skipping ahead, like with the Gartha Moors, like really, what are the Gelfins going to do? They don't, they're not, they're not fighters. They're very peaceful. Maybe they don't get along very well with each other, but they're not fighters that those aren't, that's not who the species is, but they're going to have to become fighters to defend their world. And they just felt completely unprepared. And you saw it in their faces, how unprepared they felt or they seemed. Um, but I mean, it sort of worked out for them a little bit. It's a reprieve and we'll get into that later with episode 10. But yeah, I, I didn't go into episode nine, like, and you can hear it in Deets or in Rian's voice when he's talking to Gelfling and talking to the Skeksis. He's saying all of these things that are true, but again, it's like, well, what are you going to do though? What are you really going to do? Because the, the Skeksis, who they are, they're, you know, they're ruthless, they're greedy, they're tyrants, they're horrible things. So them fighting for more of that, for more control, seems like a no-brainer. They're not going to care what they do, whether they kill or torture or maim. But the Gelfling aren't, they're not that type of creature. So I'm just, uh, it, it, it was an interesting way to leave things in episode nine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially just not knowing like what's going to happen next. You know, whether the Gelflings, whether all of them come or only some of the clans do. Because I mean, just because they're just, you know, seeing and hearing the message, it's like, well, they don't know what to believe in, you know, is this, is this the truth or, you know, or could he be lying or like, it's, um, yeah, it's sort of just a bit unknown, I guess. Like, I mean, at this point in the time that, you know, we don't know if any of the, the Gelfling clans are going to, you know, come, come to Stone in the Woods. So it was just going to be sort of a wait and see. It actually made me thought about, I mean, like, especially like, like sure they have the Arathum like on their side in, in the battle, but I'm just curious, like how, you know, how they're able to, um, you know, bring back, you know, call create a Gotham, and they only did it with one Arathum. It'd be interesting whether there's going to be something that might happen in season two, where the the Arathum, how they might potentially, you know, get back to to the Skeksis and um, having Skektek to to be able to make them, you know, make more Gotham. I'm really curious about how that's going to play, whether the where the Skeksis sort of find this power to, you know, to lure the, the Rathom back and kill them all, wipe them out, and then reanimate them all. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't think it's the uh, Rathom pieces that they have a problem with. I, the The thing that's stumping me with the idea that uh, a Gartham is part Grunek, part Rathom is where the hell are you going to get more Gruneks? You know? Yeah, because... Because they really thought it was all like pretty much eradicated, and they just happened to come across these two. But he only then, uses yeah, one of them. The, one, the yeah, second exactly, one goes down the, the shaft. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that and that's what I'm just scratching my head out. Like, I don't know if I've said this, but there's only like real like three things I have a problem with in AOR. Like three things I would probably have changed, and. The top of that list is the Grunax being part of the, the Gartham. I really, I personally, and this is just my opinion, I would have really preferred the Gartham to have been based on lore technology. I, I thought it would have been cool if the Skeksis got their hands on lore, looked at his little uh, geode crystal 
activator thing and made the Gartham eyes based on those that geode thing that I don't know what the hell we call it that geode uh, activator thing uh, plug it into the you know the the shells uh, and it and that's another thing is you you see that the Gartham in AOR are you know squirting out pus and juices and stuff and you know he's sizzling and uh, zapping it and stuff these are not empty shells these are uh, creatures uh, being Frankenstein together it's part Aratham guts and part Grunak guts but the dark crystal film showed that the Gartham are just empty shells uh, at least the way I always understood it they were galvanized and activated by the power of the dark crystal you know that's what made them tick and go uh, and move around was um, you know the mystical power of the dark crystal and now that they're these Grunak Aratham Frankenstein monsters, I'm just it, it kind of just I uh, I'm like uh, okay, it it kind of flies in the face of all Gartham lore. That, you know that's why it's like really the the biggest problem I have is just it doesn't fit at all in, in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, because I know like with the um I think with the Gartham I think the original sort of ideas behind the Gartham was they were based on I think like sea creatures from the Erskex homeworld. Am I am I right about that or you're you're right. Yeah yeah. Uh, yeah they, they said that the scientist and the, the Gartham master work together. They're based on the Gartham are based on memories of sea creatures from the Erskak planet, and that they're more um, psychic projections from the the Skeksis and the Dark Crystal than actual creatures. Augur refuses to even call them creatures. They're more of uh, of golems. And, you know, in mythology, a golem is uh, just uh, a bunch of uh, pieces of of clay or you know, um, machinery or something cobbled together and brought to life with like a, a symbol or a, a spell or, you know, magic or something. It, basically what lore is, lore is this, you know, a bunch of stones put cobbled together and he's only working because of the magic of his little crystal uh, activator. And that's why I'm like uh, very confused that they they didn't go hand in hand. I, I thought this was totally foreshadowing and setting up for the origin of the Gartham. And, you know, like it would have been so easy for this uh, scientist, Skektek, to, to find Lore's little activator and say, interesting, uh, I'll make a little golem uh, based on, you know, you know, I'll, I'll grab the pieces of the Aratham and I'll grab this little crystal activator thing. And, uh, you know, you could say, you know, whether or not he base, actually voices that they're based on memories or something, he could just say, uh, you know, I just want to make a little crab creep or, you know, whatever. The, the point is that they're supposed to be soulless, psychic machines, you know, and they're supposed to be empty on the inside. That's what – and sorry, I'm ranting about this. I, I'm very passionate about this. You see how lore – when lore was running in some episode, lore 
falls into a bunch of pieces and then his his uh his he he's like running through the forest. His the pieces of, of his body separate for a, a few seconds, and then they fly back together. So picture this: you know, the the, the Gartham chasing Gelfling through the forest. These are these Gartham are based on Loric technology. Someone smashes a Gartham in the chest. It falls to pieces. They run away, but nope. Click 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 click, and they come back together. They're immortal, they're indestructible, nothing can stop them because they're based on that lore technology. I but love that. It, it, it's, it, that's why I'm so passionate about this. Like, that is gold. I, and I'm not saying, oh, I've, I've come up with good ideas. I thought that's what they were doing. I, th I watched it on screen and I thought, oh my god, that's, this is it. And that's why I think in season two, I, I'm really hoping... Um, that Skekung, uh, and I think that he is going to be the spy master in AOR. He's going to come back to the castle in season two, and he's going to work with Skektek and say, "Hey, let's alter some things. Let's change some things. Let's because what? How? How? How do you make more Gartham? I refuse to believe that they're going to suddenly com combine a bunch. You know, make a whole army in season two in episode one." And and say here here we go we got a whole ar uh, army now it's like based on what Grunax it's just it well or another thing that I wouldn't <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't like to say this as well I feel like Skeptic say I've got a cloning facility I'll clone all the Gothams and <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah that would be awful yeah. well yeah, and I yeah. think there's I think there's some leeway to play around with the Gartham and, you know, because obviously not only do they need hundreds more Grunex, they need to capture Aratham. That's not going to happen. Those Skeksis, like, how are they going to capture Aratham? Number one. So what I think, and I think what would have been more plausible, because I agree, I think that, um, well, there's a couple things happening. I think the, the, the making or the discovery of the Gartham was a little bit too much taking away the mystery. I don't think we needed to see that happen. I think, and I think they just need to be careful in season two. Don't, don't lift up the curtain for all every, like we don't need every question answered. And again, in large part, they didn't, they've done, they've been going really well. I also don't think we need to know exactly who Jen and Kira's parents are. Do not fully answer that question. Um, that is a trapping of prequels. Um, audiences are wondering, but they're not demanding. They, they might people at the end of, of season two, if we get it say, Oh man, we, I think we know who Kira's parents are or Jen's parents are, but we're not sure. That's a great place to leave it. Do not always answer questions. And with the Gartham, I think it's, they need to be careful. And what would be more plausible for the creation of the Gartham would be for them to have trapped in Aratham or several Aratham or whatever, or maybe their Aratham are trapped underground somehow and they unleash the full force of the crystal and the, and the darkening just twists and turns them. And all of a sudden the Arath the Gartham are born. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, this is, I mean, the Gartham we saw at the end is almost pretty much almost like a prototype of the first version. So it'll be interesting to see um, if they, yeah, I mean, 
the ideas of things you know they improve on certain things with the with the gotham to make them you know what what we know them from the film so yeah it'll definitely be really interesting to see like what what evolves with the gotham especially in season two so looking forward i mean certainly hoping that we'll get that season two and hopefully you know see the sort of the, the continuing with the with the gotham wars um if it happens for sure yeah and so we'll just have to wrap it up for this episode of trial by stone again there's always so much that we talk about um in each of these episodes so we're going to be talking about age resistance for such a long time and as always we're going to have plenty of shows plenty of interviews coming up so we've certainly got a lot to look forward to um with the dark crystal age of resistance so again just want to say thank you so much for tuning in and um yeah definitely stay tuned for more episodes of trial by stone trial by stone the dark crystal podcast is a production of three point edit if you'd like to get in contact with the show you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com You can also like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, visit our website at www.darkcrystalpodcast.com. Thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone.